0: Our scripture reading this morning will be from Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, or Luke 8, and I hope to begin at verse 40. Luke 8 and verse 40. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, For they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet, and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, "'Your faith has made you well. Go in peace.'" And while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, "'Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore.'" But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, "'Do not be afraid any longer.'" Only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, Arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So far, the reading of our scripture passage this morning, dear congregation, the title of the sermon, Jesus' Way with Jairus. What a blessed lesson for us to learn today as we anticipate celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And I introduced the sermon this morning by thinking with you about faith. Because we talk a great deal in our church, and in our churches, uh, about faith, right? And the scripture has so much to say about faith. It's one, of those, it's one of those things, right, that is a gift of God. It is not something that we conjure up ourselves. It's not something that we, through habit and through discipline and through hard work, we come to have faith, right? It's a gift of God. He gives it to us, such as faith. And we know that uh, faith, while it is very important, in First Corinthians 13 and verse 13, right, we're taught that the most important gift is love. Now, I'm not going to say anything more about that, but I just point that out to you. Faith is important, but Paul says that love is even more important, right? Faith, hope, and love are three gifts of God that he gives to his people, and they're all important, right? Right? but he says that love is the most important. At any rate, though, I leave that for now, and I focus on faith. Now, faith is important because faith connects us to the power of God. And that's really a, a, a key thing that you can just kind of tuck into, the, into your minds and into your memories, that faith brings the very omnipotence of God to us. Right? And you can think of that, right? You can think of even something electrical, right? Like this microphone here, or a fan, or whatever you might have, right? When that is plugged into the power socket, power immediately flows into that. Is it a fan? Is it an air conditioner? A computer? Whatever it may be, right? And it lights up, and it begins to function the way it is intended to function. And in the same way, faith connects us to the power of God. It connects us, it joins us to Jesus Christ, and all the power that he enjoys by reason of his being the second person of the Trinity. A congregation, when Jesus came to this earth and, and he ministered to people, he did miracles. And now these miracles are given us as pictures to show us what faith does. Because a miracle is a visible display of power. They all are, Right? This man is lying there, he's lame, right? Jesus comes, he says, get up, and the man not only stands up, but he jumps, and he, he leaps, right? The blind man here, Jesus says, you know, uh, Jesus, Jesus heals him, and immediately his eyes open, and he sees. A miracle then is, in our minds, always to be connected with faith. Jesus did miracles to teach his people and to teach us what faith is. Now let me just say incidentally, Uh, Again, I'm not talking about this this morning, but just so we understand these things, that a parable was often given by Jesus to teach us about repentance. Those are two things you can kind of keep in your mind, that a parable teaches us about repentance, and a miracle teaches us about faith. And if you read the parables and you read the miracles of Christ in that way, with that little sort of interpretive clue, as it were, I think you'll see some new meanings in them, and you'll, you'll understand them correctly. But a miracle Teaches us about faith, and a miracle is a visible representation of faith. And really, uh, dear friends, when we when we stand before the table of the Lord, we have a miracle that is set before us. Right now, the Roman Catholics, right, they want to teach us that the bread becomes the actual body of Christ, and the wine becomes the actual blood of Christ. Right, the whole idea of transubstantiation. Now we reject that doctrine, but for all that, there is no question in congregation that this table represents a miracle. It represents the power of the saving love of Christ. And it's displayed visibly before us. And we receive it, not by, not by physically chewing on bread, as if that's the body of Christ, right? But, and again, if you look at the outline there, and you see that lovely quote there from Article 35 of our Confession, we receive these, that is the bread and wine, by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls which is the hand and mouth of our souls. That's a beautiful way to put it, isn't it? That just as we eat bread and drink wine with our mouths and we take it with our hands, that in the same way, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a broken, bleeding, dying Savior, we take Him with faith and we rest upon Him for salvation. Now, some of these truths we can see in the life of this man, Jairus. And so I would like to move then to our text, and to consider this man, Jairus. And first, who was he? And already we have a miracle already taking place in this very first point. Because here you have a man, Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogue. That meant he was an elder. Actually, the synagogues were set up not so much different than our churches here. They had elders. They had a body of elders. And the uh, 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 Jairus would have been one of those elders. And this man, with, with power and with so much influence, especially uh, in his position, we read that this man comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And that's why I say already we have a miracle. Because here's this proud man. I guess I, I made an assumption there, didn't I, that he was a proud man. But as a, as a ruler of the synagogue, I think it's a pretty safe assumption, right? That he was a man of great power. Let's put it this way, right? He, he's not the kind of man you would expect to fall at anybody's feet. Not a man of his station. But now God has begun to work in the life of this man. And he has struck uh, his, his daughter with a sickness. And this man is in such distress that he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. And any parent here, I think really even if you're not a parent, can can know uh, that when you when you see your children suffer, That is a special kind of pain. That is a unique kind of suffering for a parent to experience when they see their child suffer. You know what I mean. And that is now the position in which God has brought Jairus. And now we have his request. His only daughter, our text tells us. Verse 42, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old. And then I'll just point out the text that says, and she was dying. Right? Other translations have put, and she was at the point of death. And there's a little clue already, there congregation, in this story as it's given us by the Gospel writer, that the window of opportunity is fast closing. She's at the point of death. And already we can kind of uh, sense from this request of Jairus, right, that Jesus come to his house and heal her, that that he has to hurry. You understand that? He has to hurry because she's dying. She's almost at the point of death. And of course, once she dies, there's nothing to be done for her anymore. So that is Jairus' request. A man in great distress, and he has a daughter at the point of death. Well, congregation, we come then to his faith. We come to Jairus' faith. Now Jairus has come to Christ, hasn't he? So already we, we sense then that Jairus believes that Jesus has the power to save his daughter. But today I say that Jairus' faith has limits, right? It's a faith with limits. In other words, it's a faith that only goes so far. His faith in Christ is it has a limit. And where do we see that? Well, if you look in Luke uh, in, in, in our text, in verse 41, you read that Jairus begins to implore him to come to his house. That Jesus has to come to his house. And they need to hurry because she's at the point of death. Now, how many of you can remember the story of the centurion? Right? The centurion in Matthew 8, chapter 8, he said something quite different, didn't he? He was in a similar situation. Right? The centurion He came to Jesus, and uh, he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus says to him, I'll come to your house and heal him. And the centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Do you see the difference, congregation? The centurion's faith doesn't have that limit, does it? It doesn't have that limit that, well, Jesus, you need to come to my house. Because the centurion has such an unbounded confidence in Christ's power to say, that he says, Jesus, just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. No need to come to my house, Jesus. You have power to do it from right here. But not Jairus. His faith only goes this far, and it stops. Come to my house, he says. And then we read as well, and I already made that point, right, that his faith has limits, because uh, he implies that once my daughter is dead, there's, no further, there's nothing further that can be done. And then, congregation, this isn't Jairus so much, but we see that when that messenger comes with that dreadful news in verse 49, in verse 49, and while, that is, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, <clears throat> your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher any more. You see the limit on the faith of Jairus, or for sure of this messenger, and I assume that Jairus would have felt the same way, right? That now she's dead, and there's nothing more to be done with her. She's gone. And at that point, Jairus' faith stops. Now, of course, we would be thinking to ourselves, man, what do you mean she's dead? The second person of the Holy Trinity is standing before you. He has all power in heaven and earth. He created the entire heaven of the universe. He can make alive, he can kill. He has the power all that but Jairus doesn't have that understanding, does he? Jairus does not have that understanding. And so he comes to this point then where he is he is his faith reaches its limit. And now Jesus way with him. We come then to the real title and subject of the sermon this morning, how Jesus deals with this man whose faith has a limit. And in the first place, we notice delay. And here, congregation, I don't think anybody here, because I know you all a little bit now, I don't think anybody here will have any difficulty understanding that Jairus, in all his distress, in all his anguish over his daughter, knowing that she's slipping away and that minutes count, and suddenly Jesus stops, and he turns, and he says, "Someone touched me." Now again, if you put yourself in the shoes of this man with all his distress, thinking to himself, "Jesus, can you talk to her later? We gotta hurry. We've got to get to my house. She's she she, she could be, she could she could be gone any minute. We've got to hurry." But Jesus stops, and I have to believe. Dear congregation, I have to believe that all of this is part of Jesus dealing with Jairus. Well, you say, wasn't it about Jesus dealing with this woman? Yes, but I think that this whole situation with this woman with this bleeding disorder was because God and Jesus had his eye on Jairus, whose faith had limits, and God's now going to shatter those limits. And congregation, this is a painful lesson to learn in the life of faith when we walk with God. And this is it. That where God finds in us a sense of need for Him, there He works to deepen that sense. Do you hear me this morning? Where God finds in the life of His people a sense of need for Him, their God, that is such a precious thing, that their God will now begin to work to deepen that sense. God will display His power in the weakness and the inability, and let me use this word, the impossibility of man. Because that's now where God leads Jairus. He leads Jairus straight into this impossibility. Because now comes that messenger saying there's nothing more to be done with her, right? And the messenger, I don't know who he was, I don't know, maybe she, whoever it was, it is the voice of unbelief. That's how you're to hear that messenger this morning. The voice of unbelief. And that messenger comes and says, don't trouble him any longer. There's nothing more that he can do. You might as well return home to comfort your grieving wife and to assist the morning family there. Don't trouble the master anymore. And Jesus hears that. Of course Jesus hears it. And he knows now that he'll shatter the limits that confine this man's faith. And that's why he leads him into an impossibility. And he turns to deal with this woman. Could he have dealt with her later? Jesus, can't you first come to my house and then go back and take care of her? No, Jesus needs to deal with her because he's at work in the heart of that man, Jairus. Isn't that a wonder, congregation, what the love of Christ does for his people? Because that shows the extent of of the fatherly love of God and the saving love of Christ, that he does not leave this man, Jairus, with that dysfunctional faith, maybe I can call it that, or deficient faith, but he works to deepen it by delay. By delay. And then he gives Jairus a visible demonstration of his power. And remember what I said at the beginning, right? That the miracles of Christ teach us about his power. And so now Jesus turns to deal with this woman, and Jairus is watching. And it's as if Jesus says, Jairus, now watch. Now watch. Because here's this woman. And what does the text say about this woman? Again, all these little details fit into the purpose of this, the larger purpose of this story, right? What does the text say about this woman? She'd had this bleeding disorder for so many years, and no one could help her. She could not be healed by anyone. What an important detail, congregation. This woman was essentially dead. Right? Not only was she dead, uh, not dead physically, but Her bleeding disorder was such that it was hopeless, right? And the text makes us very clear to understand that. In fact, in one of the Gospels, it said that she had been to all kinds of physicians and she'd only been made worse. That's an important detail because the text, in a sense, wants us to see this woman as a hopeless case. Everybody had tried their best with her and everybody had failed. And now Jesus turns to this woman. Now Jesus turns to this woman to this hopeless case. By the way, this woman would have been dead also, in a sense, spiritually, because by reason of that bleeding disorder, she was rendered unclean by the law, which meant that she was not allowed to enter into the temple courts of God. She could not participate in Israelite worship because she was always unclean. So in that sense, too, she's dead spiritually. She's unclean. Well, now this this. This uh, Jesus, again, he's working with Jairus. And he displays before Jairus his ability to heal, his saving power. And this woman, and and there's a whole sermon just there, and that woman isn't there. She sneaks up behind Jesus. Now, usually Jesus would require from a person, before he did a miracle, some kind of profession of faith, right? Some kind of confidence that Jesus was able to save. But this woman sneaks up, and I love what Matthew Henry says, she steals the blessing from him unawares. Why? Because she had faith. She had faith. And congregation, where there is faith, there is a connection to the omnipotent power of God. And because of that, she's healed. And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made you whole. But then he turns back to Jairus. Jairus, as it were, Jairus, did you see what took place? And the text, by the way, makes it very clear that when Jesus healed this woman, she knew it immediately. She knew she had been made whole. Her bleeding stopped. She, uh, uh, in verse 44, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And in some way, shape, or form, this woman must have felt immediately that she was healed. And of course, that means then that the people standing around can see that. And they hear that. And Jairus sees it. And then comes the messenger. And then you might say, with one blow, Jesus cuts off his final hope. His, the last slender hope that he was holding on to, that perhaps even with this woman's delay, perhaps even once Jesus had dealt with her, they could hurry to his house, get there before she died, and, and the situation could be saved. But now that final hope is dashed, right? When this messenger, and I said again, if if I had to give this man a name, it would be unbelief. He does not believe that Jesus can do anything at this point, and now he must go. And that's Jairus' despair. That's the fifth on my outline there. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Congregation, God brings this man into impossibility. He brings him to a place where he has nothing more to offer He has nothing more he can do. He has nothing more to say. He has no options left. He has been cut off from all human possibility. There is no physician. There is nothing to be done anymore. A congregation, while that's a very unsettling place to be, what a beautiful place to be. What a wonderful place when God brings us in our own life and walk of faith to that place where we have nothing more to offer where we have nothing left to say. We have no more options, no more solutions. We're at the end of our own strength, at the end of our own ability. And then my sixth point, Jesus teaches Jairus what I call the fundamental law of the kingdom of God. This is, you might say, the constitution of the kingdom of God. And Jesus gives it to us in verse 50. But when Jesus heard this, He answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. My congregation, I cross-reference this with the way Jesus dealt with that man. A very similar situation. Remember the man in Mark 9 who had a child that was possessed of the devil. And Jesus speaks to him also this fundamental law of the kingdom. And you have that in Mark 9 and verse 23. I'll read that for you. Where this man, again, he's reached the end of his own possibilities. And Jesus said to him, if you can, and that is, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Congregation, as I said, that is the fundamental law of the kingdom of God. All things are possible to him who believes. And in the words of our text, Believe only. Only believe. That is only entrust yourself to the sovereign care of God. And leave the matter there. Again, many many people interpret this as, you know, if if you believe, and if you believe strong enough, right, that you want a new pickup truck or you have a health disorder that needs to be healed, right? And if you believe strong enough it will happen. That we reject. But what we do say with the Gospels is that the law of the kingdom of God is that if we place ourselves, body and soul, life and death, into the hands of Jesus Christ, that's just faith, right? That's faith. To place ourselves, to surrender ourselves, to give ourselves over to God in Jesus Christ, then everything is possible. Then everything, even the worst things that happen to us in life, work together for our good. And now God is going to lead Jairus to an understanding of that. You know, I, when I was thinking about that this week, and when I look at that verse 50, that beautiful verse, I, I just see in my mind Jairus as, as though he just collapses when he hears that news because all hope is gone. But now it's as if Jesus takes him by the face. It's as if Jesus takes him and looks him in the eye and says Jairus only believe only believe all things are possible to the one who believes Jairus your faith has limits you think that you're, you think that i can only save this far and why if it reaches this point then there's nothing left i can do Jairus no no look at me look at me only believe in the saving power of christ And that faith connects you to the omnipotence of God himself. And nothing becomes impossible then. And of course, Jairus is struggling with all the doubts and all the impossibilities of his situation. But he goes along with Jesus. And finally, we know that his faith is rewarded because Jesus, even under the laughter of those who are around him, who think that it is folly to think that a man could raise someone from the dead, Jesus comes, And Jairus, with all his unbelief, and with all his doubts, and with all his despair, he comes, this this proud man, this official of the synagogue, and Jesus says, Daughter, arise. And congregation, in that act of raising that daughter from, from death to life, in that act, Jesus, you might say, justifies the faith of all his people throughout all times and places. Because whatever it may be, whatever burden, whatever sorrow, whatever anxiety, whatever trial we may be passing, when we believe, only believe, when we entrust ourselves to the saving power of Jesus, that daughter, again, whatever that daughter might be in your life, she rises. Our our catechism would put it this way. He will either avert all evil, right, he'll turn it away, he'll bring us out of the evil, or he will turn it to our good That, my dear friends, is the law of the kingdom of God. And that is the blessed truth that is given us. That is the blessed truth that is giving us. That Jesus gives to Jairus. And that he gives to each of us. Congregation, I, I appeal to your own Christian experience then this morning. That perhaps there's someone here who experiences something of that delay. Where your own wishes, what you might have hoped for, what you might have wanted in life, has not been granted you. God has crossed your way. You thought to go this way, but he turns you about to go this way. And I ask you this morning, congregation, whether God may not be bringing you to that place where you bow before the fundamental law of the kingdom of God. All things are possible to him, to her, who believes. And that brings us to faith, isn't it? Faith is that thing, that that wonderful gift of God, where he brings us into connection with Jesus Christ. And that faith, congregation, cannot have limits. It can't have limits. Or God will lead you into a way where that limit will be shattered, where that limit will be broken. And he does that by leading us into our own impossibility. And congregation, as what's what's spread before us this morning, in the breaking of this bread and in in the pouring out of this wine, represents an impossibility. And that impossibility is that a a, a guilty sinner could come into the presence of a holy God. And now this table represents the resolution of that impossibility. It represents the saving power of Christ to make possible what is impossible. And that's why we gather this morning, to rejoice in the miracle of Christ's saving grace. And I pray, congregation, that we might taste and see this morning that God is good and that it would be a fresh experience for us to see the impossible become possible, to see the own limits of our own faith fall away and to hear the Master say to us this morning, only believe, only trust. Give it over into my hands. May God grant us, congregation, to come. To that place. I hope to make some further remarks about that as the bread and wine is distributed later, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. At this point, then we'll turn in our our uh, we'll turn to the form given to us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and you'll find that in your forms and prayer book, if you wish to read along on page 39, this book here, which should be in your. Uh, Pew, there with you. Yes, so the celebration of the Lord's Supper begins on page 37. And we read that the previous week, the call to self-examination. And we'll pick it up now on page 39, the heading there, Celebrating Our Salvation in Christ. Celebrating Our Salvation in Christ. Where we read, Let us also consider the purpose of for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is, how we are to re- this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally, that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent Yet put to death, that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross, so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself, so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell, in body and soul on the cross, When he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this, so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, It is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, During the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, As a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And, as certainly as this bread is broken before you, and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body, And shed blood. From the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that He directs our faith to His perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, He has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by His death, He has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery. Our sin. He has also obtained for us the life giving Spirit, who dwells in Christ our head and enables us who are his members to have communion with him and be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same Spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love, as the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen.